welcome to the Morning Star Show with Super Sly 75. You're listening to OnTheWakeUpRadio.com. Sign up for OTWTube.com, uncensored free speech platform. Shout out to our super producer, Cindy Ashby. All shows are live on TheWakeUpRadio.com. Catch replays on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, as well as otwtube.com. And now back to your host, Super Sly 75. I am so irritated. Let me know how my sound. Somebody check my sound. Maybe give you. Give me a why. <laughs> Sam, sorry, please excuse me. I was <sighs> catching up on the final season of Mayans. I finally all caught up with the Mayans, and now I'm, I want to see this thing all the way through. Final season of the Mayans. Let me know how my sound is. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so <laughs> let me tell y'all why I'm irritated. YouTube, I swear to God, how many days I got left? Wait a minute, let me know what. No. I can't wait till I'm out of here. How many days I got left to deal with this, this bullshit? Let me see. How many days? Yeah. I have, how many more days of this shit? I have 170 days. And I can leave this BS behind. So YouTube, let me tell you what YouTube did. So for those of y'all be like, my universe has the worst jokes. So remember I said a couple of days ago about demonetized channels. Well, okay. So YouTube. So if you have two channels or more than one channel on the same email. So I have. How many channels do I have? One, two, three, four. Nope, I got the marriage, movie. Okay, okay. So if you have more, if you have channels associated with one email, okay? So I have four channels on three different emails. Unfortunately, Heavily Flawed and Super Sly are on the same email. One's demonetized, one at one point wasn't. So the backup was doing good, right? So I get the notice today that YouTube says, well, you know, because your main channel is, is demonetized, we're going to demonetize your backup channel. So I'm demonetized because my main channel is demonetized because of incendiary, hate, hateful, disturbing speech on the main but the backup was in compliance so they can't give me on nothing else but the fact that they're on the same email i'm so over it i'm so over it so i have 170 days left i cannot wait to i leave this bullshit y'all don't understand right now so We're going to keep it rocking. If you want to contribute, support, donate, the Cash App is always there. I refuse to be these. I will not 
turn into these YouTubers that will say hit the cash app every five minutes. I refuse. No knock on them. I don't do it. I won't do it. I'm not built like that. I'm sorry. With that being said, let us continue smoking on this Tina Turner pack. Like I said, we would for the second day in a row. Mike check global. Yes. Raz B. Everybody pray for Raz B. That brother's going. Yeah, they came. They came. They came to see me this morning. <laughs> they came to see me. They paid me a visit. <laughs> Listen, if you have make, make sure all of your channels have its own email. So if they decide to ever get rid of your channels, they get rid of all channels attached to that email. So make sure you keep every channel has its own email. That way they can't use a, an excuse. They look, listen, they're purposely looking to demonetize at this point. Right? So the, like I said, the only reason they hit me is because of my main channel. That's it. So I'm just like, whatever. I appealed it. We'll see. I appealed it. So we'll see. Let's continue. Let's continue. Let's continue. Let's continue. Hey, man, it's YouTube. Don't worry. When, Content creators be on here long enough. They too will, will learn the hard way. So learn from my, my, my experiences, I guess, you know. Who is this? Yo, people be questioning to follow me on IG. I'll be like, I don't know who these people are. Like, who is these people? Okay. Sure. Confirm. Confirm. Yeah, I'm 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 leery like that on on. All right, I'm sorry. I'm going through my follower request. Anywho. Hey, what's up? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Everybody carries in the house. Sexy red. What's happening? What's happening? I got to scrub. Now, I'm not saying don't scrub it. <laughs> I don't say scrub it. I just. Okay, this is what I'm going to do moving forward. So what I will do is leave the videos up, but get rid of all the lives. That's what I'm going to do. So every live stream I put, I'll put somewhere else. Everything is on Spotify. Everything is on. So everyone, when I get the dumping, like live stream dumping, everything is on Spotify. Everything's on Patreon. If it's not, on, if it's not there, then it's on the wake up. Um, or rumble have backup outlets for your live streams. It's not the videos that get you jammed up. It's the live streams. It's the live streams that get you jammed up every single time because you don't know who said what during the live. You don't know what comment, uh, one of your subscribers left in the chat that they're nitpicking, like any excuse they can knock you off. They'll do it. So what I will do moving forward, every live stream goes somewhere else. But like I said, I got 85. Uh, no, I have 86 Spotify followers. <laughs> Shout out to uh, my Spotify followers. Everything I dump, like, instantly goes to Spotify. Like, I ain't taking no chances. I have four different outlets. So I would, I would, I would tell anybody, make sure you have different outlets for your live streams. The videos can stay. It's the live streams that's going to get you jammed up every time. Every time, here you go. Nah, hey, no, hey, I ain't knocking nobody. I just can't. I can't do it. I just. I feel weird saying it. I just can't do it. I can't. 
know, to each his own. I don't tell anybody how to do their channel. I'm just saying, you know, if you can learn something from my my experiences, by all means, you know. So, yeah, got they got to cut corners, man. They got to cut corners. Hey, hair like wool. Yo, she be, yo, she be fire and brimstone. <laughs> I fucks with hair like wool. Yeah, so if you're a member, you already got the email this this morning that they paused the memberships. So, I but uh, yeah, that that's how I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it moving forward. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into this. You get lost. Okay. <laughs> Where shall I go? Where shall I go first? Oh, oh, you know what? Since the monetize, let yo AI again. AI with Frank Sinatra. What do you mean? What you talking about? Shut up. Yes, I'm. For now, I'm eating crow. Whatever. Anywho, Frank Sinatra just got AI'd. Y'all ready? Frank Sinatra just got AI'd. Let's go. To the window, to the wall, until the sweat drops down my balls, until all you bitches crawl. Oh, skeet, skeet, goddamn. It's over. <laughs> they done got they done got Frank Sinatra. They done got Frank Sinatra. Who are you gonna sue at this point? Right? Good luck trying to sue somebody over this. Good luck with that. Pandora's box wide open. Everybody's gonna get this AI treatment. It 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 was dope, right? You know what? Come on, let's run it back. Let's run it back. I got time. I got, let's run it back. Let's go. To the window, to the wall, until the sweat drops down my balls, until all you bitches crawl. Oh, skeet, skeet, goddamn. Yo, yo, I'm with it. Yo, they did a, a full Frank Sinatra album over hip hop lyrics. I'm with it. Yeah, Reg, listen. So they hit me because my main channel is demonetized because it's a, it's a, it's associated with an email with a, a demonetized channel. So whatever channels you got, make sure they all have separate emails, man. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ski ski. <laughs> Yo, that's <laughs> Frank Sinatra gets it popping. I, I I fucks with it. I'm 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 with it. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with it. Uh let's see. Don't worry, we're gonna get the we're gonna get the Tina. We're gonna get the anime. Yeah. <sighs> Cash at me, man. YouTube is YouTube. I appealed it. We'll see in 14 days. <laughs> so um, like I said, moving forward, I would I would implore any content creator, just move the lives elsewhere, man. Get the lives off, leave the videos up, but get get move the lives. At, at this point, the new regime is taking over. The Indian dude is running it. 
you thought we thought Susan was bad. Now I don't we don't know what the new regime has it has in store. And um, you know, as long as we continue to be on here, we're kinda at their mercy. So we have to make adjustments. So I suggest the adjustments everybody make is get rid of your lives. Move them elsewhere. Do not leave them on your channel. That's just my opinion. That's how I'm going to do it moving forward. So, uh, yeah. Hey, I came across this video. Uh, once again, Twitter is our friend. Yeah, separate all your uh, channels on its own email. Because if you have multiple channels, you know, on the same, same email, they'll ping you for having a demonetized channel, having it associated with a demonetized channel. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, got to, got to pivot. Now we got to pivot again. I came across this, these children from the 1960s. Listen, the quality of our education has digressed so bad. I regressed. You can't tell me the, the kids of today are smarter than the kids of yesterday. They're not. Children of the 60s and 70s had a far better education, if you ask me. But I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in the minority. So these are children from the 1960s. And they're giving their thoughts on what the future would be like. Mind you, these are children from the 1960s. Let's go. I think it'll be uh, um, people will be regarded more as statistics and as actual people. I don't think it's going to be so nice. I think sort of all machines everywhere, everyone doing everything for you, you know, you'll get all bored and I don't think it'll be so nice. First of all, those computers are taking over now. Computers and automation. And in the year 2000, there just won't, won't be enough jobs to go around and the only... This is from the 1960s, y'all. From the 1960s. Jobs there will be will be for people with high HQ, you know, high IQ who can work computers and such things. And other people are just not going to have jobs. There just aren't going to be jobs for them to have. That's insane. I'm looking for the full documentary on this when I do find it and we'll, we'll go over it in, in, in length. But yo, that's creepy as hell. These kids are dumb, dumb, dumb. Today's kids are dumb. Did I email myself? Let me make sure I email myself these other clips. I'm going to make sure. Oh, you know what? I missed it. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me get these clips real quick. And we're going to keep going. Uh, let's see. Okay. Now, let's continue with our, our themes. Once again, I know a lot of content creators attack me for having a very low opinion on the state of black people. And all I can tell you is show me better. Show me instances where black communities are ahead of the curve, thriving. And don't say Prince uh, County, George's County, like PG County, like stop. Because they're going through some stuff. Some stuff too. Let me find this one. Let me show you how st utterly stupid melanated folks have become. Okay? Let me just show you how just utterly stupid we as a people have become. So their local the local the police department 
had a volunteer session to test um, alcohol levels, the effects of being drunk, okay? Once again, I know it sounds crazy. Hear me out. Hear me out. So the local police department had like this event gathering to demonstrate the effects of alcohol and to the state to the state of you being drunk. Well, well, guess who all showed up for this? And, and the woman tried to spin it like this was cool. You had a bunch of black people go to the police station where they were providing free alcohol and drinks for them to test the levels of alcohol on the black people, on the people that showed up. I, you know what? Let's just go. Do not drink and drive. The whole time I was here, I cannot believe that what they had us doing was legal. The local sheriff's department basically brings you in and gets you drunk and makes you do a field sobriety test. So watch this. My name is Ty, and this is my first 98 milliliter drink. <laughs> my name is James, and this is my first 64 milliliter drink. My name is Tiana, and this is my first 72 milliliter drink. Y'all ain't have nothing else better to do but to go to the police station where they threw a free mixer for y'all so they can test the effects of alcohol on you past the legal limit. So when we get pulled over by the cops, what does everybody tell you what to do? When, when, what your daddy tell you? What your mama tell you? What your attorney tell you if you can afford one? What does everyone tell you when you get pulled over by the cops? When they about to slap them cuffs on you, what do they tell you? What do, what do people tell you? Right? We all have had that speech. Now, if you get pulled over, now listen. Don't say nothing. Uh, call me when we get to the station. We'll take care of it on the back end. Okay? Let's continue. My name is now, listen. I don't care about the white folk that showed up. I don't care about them. It's not about them. It's about our people. But let's go. This is Maya, and this is my first seven, 72 milliliter drink. So when we sign the consent forms, they ask you your weight and if you want to be a heavy or a light drinker. The first hour, we had to drink two drinks. Hi, my name is Ty, and this is my second drink. What's going on? My name is James, and this is my second drink. Hey, y'all. Uh, my name is Tiana, and this is my second 72 milliliter. <laughs> my name is Paige, and this is my second drink. Paige, my name is Charlene, and this is my second drink. This is Samaya, and this is my second drink. <laughs> I'm sure you can already hear it in my voice that I was already getting lit. And we started drinking. We started getting friendly. We was playing games. I brought Urban Trivia. This is at the Sheriff's Department. Now, it's one thing when you go to turn in your guns for money, when they trick you into giving up your guns to protect yourself, right? Bring in any weapon and just for cash for guns. We won't tell. We will, hey, just bring them in. We'll give you money. No, no harm, no foul, right? That was the first setup. Now they got you coming in so they can run tests on you. For They know what the effects of alcohol are you on. They do this. How many every we got Memorial Day weekend coming up. How many people are going to get popped for drinking and driving? They already know these these stats. But let's let's continue. Yeah, they were playing spades, spoons. Basically, you know, we was loose as a goose because once that liquor get up in you, it's over. So after each hour, you had to take a breathalyzer. 
And I forgot to mention, we were not allowed to eat from 12 p.m. that day. And we had to wait until after our first drink. So Deputy Wright, she was wrong to be smacking in my ear like that because she knew I was hungry. Once we ate, they let us get our third drink. One being so timid, how you doing? Period. I feel like they was low-key bullying us because they would call you out if you were not drinking your drink. We thought things was green with the sobriety test. It clearly was not. The people who are doing our tests were in training. And so basically they have to do this in order to pass and move forward in the academy. Now this is real training for them, but we were having fun. But baby, since I've been losing weight, let me tell you, I was toe down. This is not about her losing weight, y'all. This is the sheer stupidity of melanated, melanated people. And y'all wonder why y'all ain't getting no reparations. I would, at this point, I wouldn't give y'all reparations. Let's continue. I do want to add, uh, we did have to Uber there. So nobody drove home or they brought DDs. They do this twice a year, but I don't think I can do it again. <laughs> In total, it took about five hours. And at the end, they let us know our alcohol levels. And I was right under the legal limit, 0.77. Yeah, y'all don't deserve reparations. I'm sorry. No. 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 Nope. Nope. Don't deserve it. Don't deserve it. I'm sorry. Hey. Hey, man. Somebody went, some dude tagged me. The guy with the, the, the with the, with the, uh, the pedophile jacket want to tag me in some videos about what black men did 50, 60, 80, 100 years ago. I don't care about that shit. Negro, we talking about today. 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 <sighs> wait, wait, let's go to some more sad news. Wait, wait, I don't want to do that one. Let's do this one. Let's do this one. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Women, let women listen. Remember this lady right here? Does anybody remember this woman right here? Does anybody remember her? Does anybody remember this woman? Let me know. If not, I'll I'll refresh your memory. Does anybody remember this woman? They fell for the trap. I listen. Who who willingly goes to the police station? Like that? No. Who? Oh, no. Yes, the crazy therapist. But guess what? Guess what? The crazy therapist has an OnlyFans now. So apparently, apparently, her business is doing so bad, so poorly because of all the online backlash. She started OnlyFans. I'm not going to do it, girl. I was just thinking about it. I'm not going to do it. I did it. Now, the irony of this is I believe a lot of black men will go support this woman on OnlyFans. I, I do is do free will, man. Do without will. I think the sad irony is the very men that she said she preferred not to deal with will be the very men that will pay money to see her naked. Now, are these two separate things? 
Sure. Sure. You know, I think a lot of guys would pay women money to see them naked and do stuff, even if they don't like them. You understand? Like, let's be honest. If Cynthia G started an OnlyFans, she could quit YouTube for good. Okay? If Cynthia G started an OnlyFans, she could quit YouTube for good. Right? You know, we do a, we do a lot of hate watching. This would be no different. This would be no different. Yes. A lot of men would support her. And that's their right. Even if she said, I prefer not to deal, take on black male clients or the black male clients that I have are cool, but the rest of y'all are no good. So this is what y'all drove her to for her to take off her clothes for money. And then the men will support. Will it be more women than men? I doubt it. I mean, you can still hate watch somebody. I mean, it is possible, right? Not the hate boners. That's funny. Um, Cynthia G is not in bad shape. I don't know why guys have this narrative that she's a badly built woman. She's not a badly built woman. If someone did her properly, did her makeup and redid her hair, you know, got dudes is going, dudes is going. All right. All right. I think she's going to do, make a pretty decent coin on OnlyFans, to be honest with you. Okay. All right, let's get to some sad, let's get to some sad news. This it? This is sad. This is sad. I'm sure a few of you guys seen this already, but um, I, I don't know. The, the social media thing, the, the, the ability to go live at any time and moment is a problem for me, but I don't know. I'm conflicted by this. Let's let it play out, and then I'll give you my thoughts, and y'all tell me y'all thoughts. I'm at South Park right now at work in a building on fire and I can't get out. It's getting harder and harder for them to see us. We're going to have to sit out here and see. The building on fire, I'm trapped inside, me and my man. Yo, this building is on fire. I'm at work. Somebody say help. We're at South Park. Help! Overnight fire. Now, for those that knew or seen this, you know what happened. They didn't make it out. They died in this fire. So apparently, there was an explosion, and there was new construction. So it's basically a wood. They're surrounded by wood. And they had no escape route. And the one time they didn't bring their harnesses, they left their harnesses at on the truck. Because people were like, well, why didn't they jump down? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? So they were already cut off. They left their harnesses on the truck. And they were just surrounded in a wooden structure. They did not make it out. They did not make it out. Now, 
the problem I have with this going, this ability to go live, this is pretty much will be the family's last time seeing this man. Uh, you know, if he has children, they're going to see this footage. Uh, no child should see their father in a, in a position of, of desperation right before they lose their life. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the, the part of going live at any given moment that I have a, a, a an issue with. You know, I get why they he did what he did. If you ask me, it was smart. But it, okay, it it had been smart had they survived it. Now that they didn't survive, it's like, well, damn, it, did you really want that to be the lasting image of you? You know. So y'all be, I mean, how many times we watch somebody's live? They get shot, stabbed, run over let out you know just this this openness to share every waking moment of yourself with people with strangers the internet like no you know now i'm not saying he, he shouldn't have gone live and just kind of sat there and bit the dust no but if if it had worked out cool but it didn't work out yeah their kid this is this is this is forever this is forever you know, this is forever. Yeah, construction sites, especially when it is when it's new framing, because it's just nothing but wood. You know, and um, they were surrounded. Like I said, it was totally new construction. There was explosion nearby, lit up like matchsticks. And if you see, because people were like, "Why did you jump down?" Well, they they were six floors up. There's no jumping down. And then, like I said, they left their harnesses on the truck. They were six floors up. There's no jumping down. Yeah, and for for this to be the last image, this is this is horrible, you know. But yeah, they they. I don't know. What do you do? You you, you risk jumping six floors. Hopefully, you don't die on the way down hitting something, you know. So. I'm sure there'll be some fines paid and whatever the case may be, but y'all be mindful, man. This, this, this ability to go live at any moment is it, sketchy. It's sketchy. Okay. Okay. Now don't worry. I gotta unload. I gotta do a mag dump before we get to Tina. Okay. All right. All right. Where's Rasby? Rasby. Oh, no, no, no. Let's do this first. Before we get to Rasby, before we get to Rasby, now make this make sense. Before we get to Rasby, an 11 year old boy was shot by a Mississippi police officer after calling 911 for help, his mom said. He suffered severe injuries, but has now been released from the hospital. I have, I have questions about this, but let's continue. His mom said her son kept asking, why did he shoot me? What did I do wrong? Now, once again, they, they, okay. I have questions about this. Okay. 
Now, if an 11-year-old takes a, a nine to the chest, I don't think he gets back up. Okay, if a nine, if an if an 11-year-old takes a nine-millimeter parabellum hollow point to the chest, he ain't getting back up. So now I'm asking, was he grazed in the chest? Did, was he hit by ricochet? You know what I'm saying? This, well, like I said, we'll cover this story, but once again, totally suspect. I, I don't, this makes no sense to me. It looks, makes no sense. Let's, let's continue. Let's continue. So the mother of an 11 year old boy who was shot in the chest by police in Mississippi after he called 911 for help told CNN that he kept asking what did he do what he did wrong and why was he shot I'm sorry if an 11 year old ain't taking a nine to the chest and getting back up okay I just this makes no sense to me let's continue uh, Nicola Murray told CNN that she had asked her son Adrian or Adarian, Adarian, to call 911 around 4 a.m. on Saturday after the father of one of her other children came to the home irate and she was worried for her safety. So multiple children by different men. Okay, it happens. I'm not here to judge. Murray said the officer who arrived had his gun drawn at the front door and and asked those inside the home to come outside. She said her son was shot when he followed the Indiola Police Department's officer's instructions to come out of the house, adding, I cannot grasp why. After he was shot, his mom said Adarian kept asking, why did he shoot me? What did I do wrong? The family's attorney, Carlos Moore, uh, told NBC News that Adarian was blessed to have survived, but he's still in pain emotionally and mentally. Wait a minute. That's, come on, man. Listen, I don't want to call Cap, y'all. Wait a minute. <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. A 9 or a 40 cow. You went, uh, uh, <sighs> You mean to tell me this kid took a, a, a slug to the chest and he's already out of the hospital? Y'all, come on. See, see that's what I'm saying? I don't want to be I don't want to be disrespectful, but come on, y'all. Wait, a, okay, here we go. Wait. So, let's continue with this. The attorney told USA Today that Adarian had a collapsed lung, lacerated liver, and fractured ribs, but that he was released from the hospital on Wednesday. If he don't get this story the hell out my face. This 11 year old guy hit with either a nine millimeter or a 40 cal to the chest. Suffered a collapsed lung, a lacerated liver and fractured ribs, but that he was released from the hospital on when man, come on. Ain't, ain't, ain't no, ain't no way. <laughs> ain't you ain't getting up from that. <laughs> Ain't no 11. I don't give a fuck how, uh, how, how husky he's built. <laughs> you ain't getting up from this. So he, he, he also told CNN that there was no way a Darian could have been mistaken for an adult. A Darian is now home and continues to heal and is now undergoing counseling. 
The Mississippi Bureau of Investigation told CNN that an Indianola police department officer shot a Darien in the chest. It said that it was looking into the incident and that upon completing the investigation, agents will share their findings with the attorney general's office. The Indiola Police Department named the officer as Greg Capers, according to CNN, but did not provide any additional details on the shooting. CNN reached out to Capers for comment, but did not immediately hear back. Uh, Moore said the Indiola Board of Aldermen voted to place Capers on paid administrative leave while the incident was being investigated. His family said it wanted the officer to be dismissed and charged with aggravated assault. Moore also said there should be a full and transparent investigation into the shooting and call for those responsible to be held accountable for their actions. No child should ever be subjected to such violence at the hands of those who are sworn to protect and serve. And let's look, you know what, let's, let's look this shit up. I'm, I'm calling cap on this y'all. Down there. What's the boy name? What's the boy name? Darian Murray. Y'all listen, I, I I know you ain't. We just had this no. Is that wait? Is that a clip? Is that a clip? Is that a news clip? Oh, I gotta love these ads. Gotta love these ads. Mm-hmm. Ads, 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 ads. Okay, let's go. He called 911 needing help, but then he was shot in the chest by an officer. This 11-year-old boy from Mississippi is now thankfully at home and recovering this morning but his family is demanding to know why things went so wrong. CNN's Nick Valencia is tracking this story. Nick, I mean, obviously that is everyone's immediate reaction here is how does a, a child who calls the police for help end up being shot by the responding officer? What do you know? Well, his mother tells me, Caitlin, that after Darren Murray was shot in the chest by police, he asked his mother, what did I do wrong? Why did I get shot? And according to his mother, Nikayla Murray, all of this unfolded at 4 a.m. on Saturday when she says the father of another one of her children showed up at her home at four in the morning irate. She was scared for her safety, so she snuck a cell phone to Adarian to tell him to call 911. He did. And she says when the officer showed up at her home, he had his gun drawn already. He asked everyone to get out of the home. And that's when Adarian came from around the corner of a hallway into the living room. And she says that police officer opened fire once, shooting him in the chest. Adarian was put on a ventilator at the ICU at the University Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi, about 100 miles away. This all unfolded in a predominantly black area of the Mississippi. Delta, a very impoverished community. Uh, he suffered a lacerated liver, fractured lungs, and developed a collapsed, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, uh, developed a collapsed lung and fractured ribs, as well as a lacerated liver. All of this, Caitlin, uh, was reportedly caught on police body camera, though that has not been released. Caitlin? What's the sense of why that body? I got to see that footage. Please release that body cam footage. Please. Please. Body camera footage has not been released yet. 
you know, well, I want to make this clear. You know, we repeatedly called the local police department yesterday to try to get answers from them. They never got back to us after multiple messages left. But the uh, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, they did get back to us to say that they are not releasing this body camera because of an ongoing investigation. Meanwhile, this officer has been identified uh, as Greg Capers. The local board of aldermen voted to place him on paid administrative leave. The family and the family attorney, uh, they're making this very clear. They want this officer charged. They want him fired. They're planning a sit-in protest at the local city hall later this morning. Yeah, listen, y'all. Feel free to believe what you want. I'm not. I'm no, no, no. Something ain't adding up with this story. That this is my opinion. I no, no. Okay, I'm rid of that. Okay, um, this is the, let me let me dive let me divert a little bit. Let's go elsewhere. Listen, I still stand firm. This movie's gonna make a billion dollars. Now I know people like Sly's not tracking well in China. It can still make a bill without China. Listen, we know Chinese ain't trying to see no Black Mermaid. All right. We know Chinese folk ain't trying to see no black mermaid. I'm not surprised it's tracking low in China. I expected it to track low in China. Okay? Because ain't nobody trying to see no damn black mermaid. But let's... I'll humor everybody a little bit. So it's on pace to open up to 125 mil this Memorial Day weekend. All right? That's just domestic. That's domestic. We're not talking international just yet. Now... Um, so it's it's good numbers, but yeah, the the so what were we saying? Budget close to two fifty, and they will have to make they will have to make about seven seven hundred million. Okay, the budget is two fifty, and then marketing is another hundred fifty two two hundred. Let's just say two hundred. So they've already spent four fifty to make this movie. It would have to make seven, seven fifty, eight hundred to turn a profit, which I I, I believe it will. Um, I still think it's going to make a billion dollars. All right, so we'll know come Monday what the overall um, worldwide gro- opening weekend gross would be. So if we're looking at one twenty, so we're looking at roughly two. About 200 million worldwide for this weekend. We'll see. We'll see. But it's it's tracking bad in, in China. And I, I, I was already prepared for this. It's only, it's only managed 13,000 in pre-ticket sales. $13,000 in pre-ticket sales. I know some of y'all are like, see, I told you it's not going to make a bill. It's going to make a bill. I'm just, it's going to have long legs. They're going to lead this thing in the theaters. It's not going to go to 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 uh the Disney Plus no time soon. Yes, I know Fast Fast X is killing everybody. Um, the Flash is going to do good. Um, Transformers will do decent. Then we got ooh Indiana Jones coming out. Oof. Then we got Mission Impossible. Oof. Yo, if it makes a bill, it's going to be by the skin of his teeth. But I I will say this: the Little Mermaid has a bigger demographic to cater to so you know it's a disney film it's little girls anywhere from two to 
50. So I, the one thing I, I, I will say for this movie that has going for it is the demographics, for especially female. And, you know, repeat viewing is going to be a big deal, too. So we'll see. But I know y'all like some of y'all, you know, doing a Birdman hand rub. No, this movie's going to make a bill. It's going to make a bill. Okay. And the, the review embargo lifted yesterday. So everyone's already flooding the internet with their reviews and spoilers and stuff like that. So I'm going to go see this tomorrow. So we got tickets for tomorrow. So yeah. Yeah. I think it makes a bill. I can't see it. I can't see it not making a bill. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get to Rasby, y'all. Let's pray for this brother, because mental health, once again, I, I was saying a, when, when it became fashionable to, to say mental health, they're going to make a joke out of this, and those that really need it are not going to get the help. So, Rasby, um, his brother said the family's concerned about his behavior, and they're asking for prayers. Oh, shoot, my bad. Oh, man, come on. Y'all ain't tell me. Ah. All right, my bad. I'm sitting here like, yo, okay, okay, okay. I, I got it right. Screen share. <laughs> Looks like I'm having a flashback. My bad. <laughs> my bad. All right, let me run it back. Let me run it back. Good grief. Good grief. Good grief. All right, here we go. This is, <laughs> this is his brother talking. Let's go again. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Ricky Romance, and I just ask you guys continue to pray for my brother. Um, some of you guys may have saw the video. Some of you guys may have not, but my brother was seen outside a window, um, which he climbed outside of a window where he was at, at the hospital where he was at. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't feel safe because, you know, um, he, he didn't want to get his surgery. He, you know, um, for whatever reason, you know what I mean? He just, he doesn't feel safe with the the anesthesias or whatever medicines that they want to give him. Um, but, you know, I personally believe that, you know, because my brother smokes weed, I personally believe somebody may have laced his weed. 
because what what I've seen in the last couple of days um, has um, been of some concern to me um, and my family, and um, I'm sure <clears throat> some of uh, some of the fans as well. So um, I just want to say that you know um, you know don't believe everything that you see. Don't believe everything that you hear. Um, this is the internet. My brother does not have his phone. Um, and, uh, you know, he hasn't had his phone. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But um, you guys I have a chance to talk to him and, you know, he'll speak his piece. But I wanted to say that I love my brother and I don't want anybody to make any false narratives about, you know, um, you know, him being mentally crazy or anything like that. Don't say that. Don't use that type of verbiage because my oh, brother's not crazy. He's a, he's a genius. Okay. He's just misunderstood. Misunderstood. So, okay, While gotcha. we're dealing with this matter as a family, um, I'm asking that you guys please don't post anything that's crazy. Um, and uh, just keep the prayers going. You know what I'm saying? That's what really works. All right? Um, while I do feel that there's foul play and while I could point the finger and feel like, oh, I feel like this person's responsible or this person may have gave, gave him, you know, some weed or something and maybe he was laced or some shit. I don't know. I don't want to start speculating. I want to keep it 100, keep it 1000. And, um, so, you know, but, um, thank you to everybody that personally knows me that reached out. Thank you to the people that don't know me that reached out that truly have my brother's best interest and heart and you know that you know that that actually care so but um I, I would like to talk a little more in detail um and when the time is right i will talk to you guys a little more in detail um you know but for right now i want my brother to get well bruh so okay i want to create hear anything you just over talking that, you know is gonna um Wait, spark him. Why is his you nose what I mean? opening? What, what's going on with like his nose? That, you know, I don't want anybody else to do that. So why is this? You guys, be cool. All right. Anyway, God bless. It's your boy Ricky Romance. Yeah, okay. You know what? Let's continue. <laughs> let's let's see what this fool done did. This fool, he broke breaking a window at a hospital and climbing onto the building's roof, forcing police to get involved. All right. The morning after the B2K singer posted a, vid a video on Instagram where he repeatedly said he didn't feel safe. All day I've been trying to clear uh, miscommunications up, but I'm letting everybody know right now that, Joseph, I need you to call me right now. Because let me tell you, I don't feel safe. I'm in Kansas City. I'm at the Hilton Hotel. And I'm telling everybody right now, Rasby does not feel safe. Pull out an APB for Rasby in Kansas City. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. I'm telling everybody right now, I don't feel safe. What's up? What's up? What's up? It's turned up. Yeah, Shanti, I hear in the background. That's the location where I'm at. So call all my call all my army friends, marine friends. No, I'm not good. That's exactly where I'm at. Come get me. Yeah, yep, I'm staying right, right here. Yeah. And they're gonna everybody's gonna be compliant. 
I'm not saying that something's going on. I'm just letting my people know I don't feel safe. And everybody's been very helpful here, so thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate your service. Thank you for the charger. She gave me a charger and everything, guys. Yo, Blanco, call 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 call, call a hotel. Rasby, you already know. APB, nigga, what's popping? See, what I tell you about going live. I'm not trying to go to war with anybody. I'm just trying to put Rasby in a safe space so Rasby can check into a, a, a facility. Oh. I just like, you know, sometimes you don't feel like going to sleep. So guess what? I'm not going to sleep. Yep. Blew the spot up. So just so y'all know, I'm with. Yeah. No, it's not just go outside. Not when not when people keep showing up. So I'm telling y'all right now. Nope. Call a hotel. And do what? Blow the spot up. Nine one one. Fuck this shit. Okay. Please. Let's continue. Let's continue. So this is this fool on the roof. Matter of fact, I don't. Let's let's just watch that. <laughs> let's just see for ourselves. It if this ain't mental illness, I don't know. Once again, y'all started covering. Not y'all, but can't call everything mental illness. And then when it ha really happens, come on, man. What's this fool? What is this dude doing? What are, what are we doing right now? What are we? Come on, man. Now, I, don't, I don't know about the trying to jump. If he wanted to jump, he would have jumped. You know. Obviously, this man is having, uh, he's fighting against some sort of conditioning. So fighting against some, some, some form of programming. You know, he's going through it. I, I agree. This is not normal behavior. But if he wanted to jump, he would have jumped. So I, I you know, do about oh no. See what the hell? It, see black folk, baby. <laughs> do a backflip. Don't forget to tuck the legs. Tuck your legs. <laughs> My daughter went to school oh, with you. you okay. I um All right, let me try it. Okay, let's get back to the story. Let's get back to the rest of the story. So that was him. All right. Law enforcement tell TMZ officers dispatched to St. Luke's Hospital at 1020 a.m. Say when they got there, they determined he had broken a window in order to climb to the roof. There was concern Raz might jump off the ledge. Cops say the fire department responded to the scene, too, and placed mats down below just in case. Police say a negotiator got involved, too, and he ultimately came back through the window peacefully and was treated by medical staff. Yeah, he, they about to reprogram the hell out your ass. Um, it's unclear what his condition is right now. Yeah, they about to reprogram the hell out you, bruh. Send love and light to Rasby, y'all. Seems he's he fighting, fighting an unwinnable war. This is horrible, man. This is sad. All right. Let's get to the, uh, the migrants. Chicago, where's Club Fortune at? Chicago is, is ground zero for this migrant thing. Look at this shit here. This is how crazy it's gotten. Schools are now allowing migrant children to enroll despite not having any important documents, including. Yo, they let them kids go to school with no paperwork. Now, remember, 
because I'm from Illinois. Illinois had one of those crazy ass um, COVID um, restrictions. Like you had to get your kids these sets of shots to let them back in their school. This was Illinois at one point, literally not even two years ago doing this. Now we do a 180 and now you're letting in illegals and their children in to go to school with no paperwork. No paperwork. Let's go. School and health records, but taxpayers in the city are already fed up with how the city is handling the influx of migrants. The police department is going to make frequent visits here, which means if they're making frequent visits here, they're not out there. We're inviting in like a magnet. Everybody come here, collect all your freebies. We're going to get. Hey, I told you who's going who gonna, who gonna to bust back first. It ain't going to be black folk. It's going to be these white folk. I keep trying to tell y'all, let's go. Give it to you. Every sucker in here is going to pay for it. Who's coming white folk up in there? Nobody wants the answer. You can be compassionate, but you can't be foolish. I mean, people are fired up. Jennifer Preston is a Chicago parent, and she joins me now. Jennifer, thanks for being with us this morning. You know, I know your kids don't go to school in the in Cook County, but you're right outside of it, and you said that it's only a matter of time before it trickles its way to where you are. But would your kids be allowed to go to school without their vaccinations, proof of guardianship or residency? Right now, in the school district in which we live, our we have to provide residency, citizenship, health records, vaccination records on an almost annual basis. Um, I actually have a child right now where I must have five emails in my inbox stating, stating that my child cannot return to school next year without a specific vaccine. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's certainly inconsistent with what they're allowing for the migrant children coming into the Chicago public schools. As you said, I live in the suburbs, so right now this isn't impacting us, but of course it's only a matter of minutes before it heads our way. And while I'm certainly compassionate, overly compassionate for the migrant children, and I believe we are a found, uh, nation founded on our immigrants, I would expect that they would be coming here legally and be bound to the same guidelines and principles and laws that all of our own children as taxpaying citizens are. Absolutely. I don't think anybody watching this would disagree with you. Um, I, I do want to talk about one Chicago alderman. Um, he's trying to paint the migrant cr a crisis as an opportunity, saying, despite the fact that this is a crisis, a man-made crisis made by xenophobic, racist policies uh -oh. from southern governors, uh -oh. we should also look at this as an opportunity to bring in new energy and the revitalized immigrant spirit to our community. You know, to me, it sounded like if you don't agree with what he says, you're racist and xenophobic. What did you take that as? I personally find it very offensive, as I'm sure a lot of people would. Like I said, we are a nation founded on immigrants. Nobody's saying immigrants can't come here, but where is the law? Where is the law and order? Where is the Constitution? Where is any of that being applied across all of it? And let's not forget, it was just three years ago where we forced lockdown all of our schools, our yep. communities, our churches, our extracurricular activities. Kids weren't allowed in any school. We had to make sure that kids were masked up for years. We had to fight and fight and fight for that. Some kids across the country couldn't get into a school without a COVID vaccine, which some would deem very ineffective. So it just seems like these aren't racist, xenophobic policies whatsoever. There is major inconsistency. We had so much restriction and policy in place a few years ago to the far, far extreme. And I'm not suggesting we go back there at all, but there must be something consistent with what we are making our tax paying 
U.S. citizens and residents do that is consistent with bringing in migrants. Yeah, and, and it's just a matter of when it comes to the suburbs. Absolutely. That um, Alderman, he went on to say they become taxpayers, but right now they are not taxpayers. The American people are the taxpayers, uh, the people who are here legally. Um, so obviously they've got to sift through this and try and figure this out because as you saw from that video that we played right before I got to you, people are very upset over this. But we did reach out to Chicago Public Schools for a statement and we have not received a response. Jennifer Preston, thanks for your time. Terrible. Terrible. This shit is wild. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me see something else. Okay, let's see, let's see. Okay, you know what? Let's see what, how Fox reports it. I mean, we might as well. Goddamn ads. Ugh. Anywho, yeah, yeah, this is going to spread. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you live in a state where they're kicking them out, stay there. If you live in a state where they're coming in influx, I want to work on an exit plan. I'm just saying. Chicago pastor Corey Brooks is with us now. Pastor, migrant children are going into Chicago's schools. My heart goes out to all these migrants and but, the migrant children. But, but are our kids going to suffer? Uh, well, there's no doubt about it. You know, I understand uh, the concerns of many parents when it comes to talking about proper documentation for uh, uh, migrant families and migrant children. Uh, it, it's essential uh, in recognizing the importance of the rule of law. Uh, it's going to provide fair consistency. Uh, it's going to mean that the application of the policy of following the law for everybody is the same. And as a result, when um, these children can go to our schools uh, without any documentation, it's going to be very difficult. It's, all, it's important to acknowledge the existing challenges that we already have. Quality education, 4% in our neighborhood, 4% of the children are reading at proficiency, 6% math proficiency. We got a teacher to student ratio problem. This is only going to put more strain on our educational system. Pastor, Mayor Johnson has announced a plan to keep Chicago safe on this historically violent Memorial Day weekend. It includes an increased police presence and 30 peacekeepers. What are peacekeepers really going to do and who are they? Well, we have peacekeepers on our uh, violence prevention team, Project Hood. Uh, these are individuals who sometime were informally gangs themselves who now feel it necessary to give back to the community and try to fix the, the, the wrongs that they've done. Uh, more police being active in the community uh, during this weekend, which has historically been a high violent uh, murder weekend, uh, is going to be essential to making sure that we drive down uh, those murders and those shootings. These peace workers are going to be people from the community who are totally engaged in trying to make sure um, that we don't have the problems that we've had historically. So I think the plan to engage more police, the plan to put more peace officers to work is a good plan. It's all hands on deck in Chicago, especially for those of us who really love the city and want it to be the very best that it can possibly be. Yeah, I can understand all that, but what about these tax increases on the on the rich and on businesses uh -oh. and the, the cutting the police budget 9% in each of the next four years? I mean, d d surely Chicago people don't think that that's going to turn the city around, do they? Yeah, you know... I'm a, you know, being a conservative, uh, you know, I'm, I'm against all the tax raising. You know, I, I think that there's a better way to do it. I think that we have to look at ways to to get rid of some of the government spending, to get 
rid of some of the things that the government waste. Okay, so anybody catch the irony of him being a pastor and him being a conservative at the same time? I mean, I get it. Public versus private. Let's continue. Those are areas that we need to focus on. Increasing taxes on an already strained community and an a strained city is only going to increase the people who are moving out of Illinois. Uh, as you said yeah. earlier, there are people loading up U-Hauls, moving out of Chicago, moving out of Illinois, headed to Florida, headed to Texas. And the only way we're going to turn that around is that we got to have a better business infrastructure. You know? So I'm hoping and praying that somehow uh, we can figure out a way not to increase all of these taxes. I want to be positive. I'm going to ask one last question. In your, life in your lifetime, or my lifetime, do you think we'll ever see a Republican voted into the mayoral job in Chicago? It's going to be tough. You know, this is a very <laughs> liberal city. No. <laughs> <laughs> keep God, praying. Keep believing. I do, sir. I really do. God bless you, Corey Brooks, and I'm sure he has right, already. God bless you, too. We'll see you again right, soon. Thank you. thank you, sir. Yeah. Listen, it's go time, y'all. It is go time. I don't know what at Miller time is go time. All right. So let me do this. I think we're ready for this the second heaping, the second helping of uh this Tina Turner pack. <laughs> Featuring Ike. Did I get everything? I got I got through everything. All right, I got through it. Okay, so um so just a heads up, if you're gonna look for this live, it's either gonna be on Patreon or Spotify or on the wake up, um or rumble. More than likely, I will put it on, okay, definitely going to go on Spotify, like without question. So any, if you ever look for any of my shit, Spotify is probably the number one go-to. And then Patreon will be a second. And then on the wake up and on the wake up and rumble will be like 3A, 4A, whatever the case may be. But this, I will definitely pull before the night is out or before tomorrow and it'll be on Spotify. So if you haven't subscribed to me or follow me on Spotify, go, please, please do. So I get to check over there too. Yes. I get a Spotify check. Yes. Yes. All right, let's do this. Conspiracy. What's happening? What's happening? Oh, okay. Oh, hiding in the restroom. Oh no, 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 no. That's no bro. Let's not do that, bro. I don't want you hiding. Don't want El Jefe coming in talking about what you doing. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Um, there was no way. It, it would have taken me a week to edit all the music out. And even during the interviews, they have all the backing music. And so there was no way I was going to be able to edit this thing out properly and, and, and not have it flow. So we're just going to watch this thing together, man. You know, I'll speed up a tad bit. We're going to watch this thing together and let's see. The light they show uh, Ike Turner in. I know a lot of people are upset because we've been there because Tina's being dragged. We've been dragging Tina for years. Aretha Franklin, we dragged her before she passed on with a less than ass daddy. You know what I'm saying? We're going to drag these Clark sisters. If you're a gospel, we dragged them gospel chicks too. You know? All right. I know some, I know some people that know them daughters. Them daughters is nasty. Yes. Them Clark sisters, them, they nasty. Okay. One of them likes girls. But that's another story for another day. Let's get on with this, with, with this, this, this pack smoking. Let us go. The true story needs to be told. The, the truth needs to be told. Unparalleled, untold, 
Unsung, the story of Ike Turner. stage. Ike Turner was everything else. Band leader, arranger, pianist, guitarist, and a pioneer whose musical legacy spanned five decades. Ah, I'm trying to skip the music, y'all, but fuck it. Ike had ideas, and Tina put them across. The Ike and Tina Review was Ike Turner's greatest creation, and for two decades, his ruling passion. He knew exactly what he wanted, and he knew exactly how to get it from me. went from the choreography to creating the costumes to managing to booking to the girl steps the hair on the head he created everything himself his wheels the highway you either do or you don't uh-oh but there's but over time that compulsion for control over music bandmates and most famously his wife would lead to a spectacular fall for Ike Turner destroying his career his reputation and ultimately his life the demons that Ike had in him had been there for a long time, had, had been surrounding him for a long time. Let's put it like that. People who went to see that movie, they thought that he was the worst person in the world. Tell it, man. He just hurt within himself that he couldn't get through this. And he really just go ahead and just tear himself up by getting high. He had a heart, you know? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't what people had made him out to be. His character was so destroyed. I think he just died a heartbreak. Born in 1931, Ike Turner was never a stranger to trouble or hard times. His mother was a seamstress, his father a Baptist minister. He grew up on the outskirts of Clarksdale, Mississippi, where poverty and segregation came with the territory. That was uh, quite a bit of divide at that time. It was a little tough. There was a lot of, you know, prejudice. The protection, you know, that law is supposed to give to people, you know, that was non-existent in, in, in those days. When Ike was five years old, he watched as his father was savagely beaten by a local posse for having an affair with a white woman. Mm. He was actually in the front window watching these men do this to his father. You know what I'm saying? That is traumatic enough, yeah. and then seeing that and not being able to do anything about it. Right, right, the right. hospitals during the time wouldn't even allow him to go to be treated. They had to prepare a tent in the backyard, and him and my mom would have to go out and take things to his dad, and they say you could smell it for miles around because his intestines was completely beaten out. Man. His father ultimately died from his injuries. You know, something like that. At a young age, you know, you don't ever erase. With his father gone, Ike was frequently abused sexually by older women, See? beginning at the age of six. Mm -hmm. By the time he was 12 years old, he had been molested by three older women. Mm. Yes. And, you know, it was rape. 
these women forced themselves upon him as a kid. No one looked at it in that terms of the Greek, but uh, it probably gave him a low esteem as far as dealing with women. But growing up in Clarksdale, Ike found his calling as well. The town was a mecca for blues and home base for such legends as Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker, and pianist Pine Top Perkins. Pine Top played a lot at a pool hall, and Ike had a job at the pool hall uh, sweeping up. And Pine Top said if Ike ran errands for him, uh, he would teach Ike how to play. By his teen years, Ike was spinning records at local radio station WROX and developing his musical chops on piano and guitar. Ike, not only did he DJ here, but the Ike Turner Orchestra played um, at certain times during the day or during the week, whatever. We put our band together and uh, I named it the Kings of Rhythm. Whatever would get hot on a jukebox, that's what we would play. When we started playing, the people would applaud us. We sound just like the jukebox. You know? Ike had a very different explosive sound because within his blues, you had like a jazz flavor. And then on, you know, on top of that, he had a rock edge. Ike's sound caught the ear of B.B. King, who had his own radio show up the road in Memphis. That led to a recording date in 1951 with Sam Phillips at Memphis's Sun Studios and a song Ike wrote about a hot car called Rocket 88. You women have heard of jalopies, you've heard the noise they made for that's my Rocket 88. All of the white kids would tan to the record shop to buy it. That's when they found out that white kids would buy black music. Rocket 88 hit number one on the charts stayed there for five weeks and became a classic. Right, they call it race music. The newest race music. That's what they would call it, race music back then. Let's go. That Ike would proudly perform five decades later. When I hear Rocket 88, I think of a transition between Delta Blues and rock and roll. It's a landmark, actually, this, this song. You may want to call it rock and roll, but I call it boogie woogie. But you know, they call it what they want to call it. I just be playing what I play. But there was a catch. Because Ike's saxophonist Jackie Brinston sang the lead vocal, he got the song credit. And Ike Turner got a check for $20. The numbers on this was probably at that. Now y'all pay attention to how them, how them splits worked out. Time astronomical as far as uh, what it was actually producing. But to get $20. That helped him to understand why it's called show business. After that happened, he was determined that no one would ever take anything from him again. Through the early 50s, Ike worked as a record producer and session musician on records like B.B. King's first hit, Three O'Clock Blues, while still leading his own band, The Kings of Rhythm. By 1956, he'd moved the group to St. Louis, where Ike's sound literally crossed racial divides. They would drive across the bridge between East St. Louis and St. Louis and go into clubs where, you know, white teenagers were in attendance. And then they'd drive across the bridge and the kids would follow them back and forth. And mm -hmm. his mm -hmm. argument with the club owners uh, was that if you don't let my fans come in, I'm not going to play. Mm -hmm. So he forced the color line in East St. Louis as well as across, across the bridge. A turning point came one night in 1958 with the arrival of one particular fan named Anna Mae Bullock. I was uh, very well known in St. Louis, and I was still in high school, very young. And, <laughs> and I wanted to sing with this group. I'm trying to sing a song like Rodney Ike. I'm trying to sing a song like Rodney Ike. I'm singing a song like Rodney Ike. <laughs> hey, remember that? I wrote the song, Ike. <laughs> to put on makeup and so forth to get in and I, I when I finally got to him I asked him if I could sing with him and he says yeah I'll call you yeah you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. so then but he never called me 
So uh, one of the musicians set uh, one of the microphones down one night, and I, I took hold of the mic and started singing. Pow. <laughs> and after Anna Mae joined the band, Ike gave her a stage name that would help keep her there, Tina Turner. He was really passionate and serious about his name and, and ownership. He said those names were registered because of what happened. He was burned once, and he said, never again will anyone take anything from me. Up to that point, Ike wasn't really well-known beyond a very you know, hot regional band because he didn't have any real music at radio yeah, no hits. that was really making right, a mark. Right, right, right. That all changed one day when Ike brought Tina Turner to the recording studio to back up a singer named Art Lasseter on a song Ike wrote called A Fool in Love. Ike had paid for the session, and so the meter's running, Art's not there, so Ike decides to go ahead and cut the song and says, Tina, you sing it. Won't somebody please, please tell me what's wrong? Released in the summer of 1960, A Fool in Love shot up the R&B charts, peaking at number two, and cracked the pop top 40 as well. Right, so they don't mention, so don't mention, if you watch the movie, remember in the movie, at the heat unbeater, <laughs> at the heat unbeater, right? And, Gave her a kiss on it right before she performed her song and tear comes out. None of that mentioned. So, Jesus, man. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a hit piece on this man. A Fool in Love was in a range designed for a man. And that unearthly wail and that, uh, that delivery of it was what made it what it was. The song also put Tina and her background singers, the Ikeettes, on center stage, which was just the way Ike liked it. When he got Tina up there, he took the back seat. And of course, he wanted her to shine. We were just the puppets. And, and I mean that in a, in a very kind way, because we all felt like we were fulfilling a vision. With the song's success, Ike began billing the group as Ike and Tina Turner. They released their first album together in 1961. By that time, they were more than friends. He said that uh -huh. when he first saw Tina, he didn't think anything of her. She had skinny legs, and she wasn't the hourglass figure that he was used to. And he looked at her like a sister. And when she met him, she said, oh, he's ugly. She didn't know what people saw in him, but she realized he was very charming and Ike had away with the ladies. Tina gave birth to their first child together and took over raising Ike's two other children, along with one of her own from earlier relationships. What am I gonna do with two more kids? Huh? What am I gonna do with two more kids? Remember that scene, right? You can pick that whole movie apart. Just, just nonsense. What am I gonna do with two more kids? They married in 1962 and set their romance to a song called, It's Gonna Work Out Fine.
at the beginning, they start courting. If you just listen to the record, that's all it was. It was always just a story <laughs> between Ike and Tina Turner. It's Gonna Work Out Fine did just that. Once more, rising to number two on the charts. Everything happened the way it was supposed to, and as they say, the rest is history. With the arrival of Tina Turner. Man, man, listen, you can't take away that she was a phenomenal performer. <laughs> I mean, phenomenal. I don't hate. I don't hate. I just hate, well, you know, narratives and shit like that, false narratives. Let's continue. And back-to-back -back hits, Ike Turner had found his groove as a band leader, and he was determined to keep it that way. When Ike Turner would walk through the door, you straightened up, you listened, you did whatever he asked you to do. Your uniforms were clean and pressed before you went on stage. If your tie wasn't just so-so, uh, if your suit wasn't crisp and pressed well, <laughs> their wigs weren't on correctly, <laughs> they had a run in their stockings, he would find you. He arranged his whole, whole show. He could tell a horns. That's where James Brown got his idea to find his players. It came from Ike. James Brown used to do the same thing, find his players if they missed a note, missed the key, they were late. Got that from Ike. But let's continue. Exactly what note they had. It won't leave until he get it right. He wanted his music to be great because that's that is all he had in this world. The result was a show like no other. The closest thing to the Ike and Tina Turner review in terms of energy was James Brown. girl up here and they were moving they were wow very beautiful young ladies moving you hadn't seen nothing like that and it was pretty exciting but after their first flurry of singles in the early 60s ike and tina couldn't score a hit recording on small labels they released seven albums in a row that Shit. failed to chart and the harder ike worked the less he had to show for it we were playing clubs that were like maybe 250, 300 people maximum. And often the clubs were nothing short of raggedy. Without a hit record, his price was going down. You know, there were less and less people at his concerts and he had a huge nut. He had 15 people on the road every time he went. He was known to work and not sleep for three or four days. You can only do that so long. And you know, it made him crazy. Ike Turner did not start to indulge in drugs until the age of 30 years old. And what happened was he was in Las Vegas and he met two people, a famous African-American comedian and that comedian's very close rock and roll friend. He said, I got together. So why did you just say Sammy Davis Jr.? See, that's why I hate those. Come on, man. Everybody knows it was Sammy. It was Sammy and uh, who was the other guy? Who was the other guy? Uh... Dean, right? What the fuck? Who was it? It was Sammy Davis Jr. and the other guy. Dean. Come on, the Italian dude from the Rat Pack. Who was it that got him hooked on Coke? It was either... You know what? Somebody somebody will know in the chat. With these two entertainers, and they were doing Coke, and 
They gave me some, and I didn't want to take it, and I just took it, and I went home. And then he just said, one night I was writing, D-Mark, and I just decided to try it. And, D-Mark, and the next thing, he says, I know I was hooked. And I said, who are those two guys? And he said, Elvis and Red Fox. Oh, Elvis and Red Fox. What oh, got no. Okay, I heard different. It was Elvis and Red Fox. Oops. Man, that's even worse. Shit. Okay, never mind. It was Elvis and Red Fox. I grew up hearing it was Sammy Davis and Dean Martin. Okay, we learned something new today. Shit. Hooked on the cocaine was that he realized that he could just stay up for days and days and days and do what he loved in his passion, which was music. By the late 60s, Ike and Tina had established themselves in England, thanks in part to the Rolling Stones, who put them on tour as their opening act. And it was during this time that Ike was starting to get the idea that, you know what, we probably need to cross over. Okay, but how do you do that? Ike began arranging rock songs to suit his and Tina's style and struck gold with a song and a show for the ages. No, Elizabeth. <laughs> it was a great rock hit, and they completely retooled it. And that's a little bit of the magic of who he was. They had the slow start, and then they had the interlude, and then they had the heavy pound. Proud Mary shot to number four on the pop charts. The dancing that we were doing so vigorous and fast, and it was like, phew. Ike Turner was living the dream, his way. Everybody got into the cocaine. Everybody else got into the sexual orgies. It just became um, out of control, way out of control. Right, so without saying the same in a nice way. Worked with Jimi Hendrix, and Hendrix had just gotten out of the army. And every time there was a break, and it should have been quiet, um, you know, Hendrix was doing his, you know, his playing. And you know, in Ike's band, you play everything note for note, or you were fine, okay? And so Hendrix didn't last very long at all. By the early 70s, Ike and Tina Turner had built a reputation as the most electrifying act in popular music. It was a sound that made you want to dance. You couldn't sit still. You had to move because it just kind of fit right into that groove. money rolling in, Ike opened a state-of-the-art studio called Bolick Sound that drew stars from Paul McCartney and George Harrison to Little Richard. It soon became Ike's home away from home, both for business and for pleasure. So he, basically he was like, this was, this was pre-Electric Lady, because everyone knows, you know, Hendrix opened up his studio, Electric Lady, everybody came through, but Hendrix got the model from Ike. 
right? Because there was no black studios like that where white folks would come through. So this was, bef- you know, he was the precursor to Electric Lady because now Electric Lady, still in New York, still operational, but, you know, it's historic, but Mike did it first. Let's go. He had a little music box, a, a powder music box, and when you open it, it played music. And he would have that full of cocaine. He shared it with everybody. Anybody said they didn't try cocaine, I tell you a damn lie. Uh-oh. Because it was always free. On his good days, friends and bandmates say Ike could be generous in other ways. When little Richard uh, about to lose his house and Ike Turner kept him safe, that was the truth. No matter what Ike was doing, he took calls from Fine Top Perkins and he helped him every time he could. There was a, a little old lady. She was having a hard time paying her bills and she uh, didn't have food. And, and someone came and told him about her. He would send me over there every two weeks or once a month to feed her, to pay her rent. He was a nice guy, you know, Ike was nice. But see, one thing about him, he always feared that some people would take his kindness from weakness. Yo, Southern folk, Southern folk was probably the best indicator of black unity. If you want to look at what black unity looked like, black unification, look at Southern folk. Southern folk, you know, lock arm and step like a motherfucker, you know, unlike the Northern blacks, but Southern blacks united. And by the mid-70s, Ike's weakness for cocaine was all-consuming. He literally burned a hole in his nose and used more of the drug to mask the pain. Meanwhile, his and Tina's marriage was disintegrating as the top floor of Ike's studio became known as the Whorehouse. Uh-oh, uh-oh. They had hired um, another girl to uh, be an Ike hit, and I was to train her. And Tina said, well, she's for Ike. And I looked at her like, what do you mean? She said, Ike chose her, and she's for Ike. Ike don't recall actually getting women for I was friendly with everybody that was there. So she don't recall. Bitch, you know what? I'm going to take this lie. You took that lie to, to the grave with you. You took that lie to the grave with you. Better, like, what do you mean? She said, Ike chose her and she's for Ike. I don't recall actually getting women for Ike. I was friendly with everybody that was there. But actually, I had no freedom to go out and get anybody because we were all basically locked in. So there was no freedom for this kind of a thing. Whoever was there was whoever he had brought in. You know, that's how it was. Oh. I want you to go with me sometime. Like, I go okay, with you. Okay, okay. Tell you what. I don't we, want to go this time. No, uh-uh. You got it. No, I want to go when I want to go. Same way you do. No, you got don't want to be forced. No. <laughs> I never saw him being abusive to Tina. I never saw that. But I can detect that he had that character. Mike was a violent man when I met him with his ladies before, his women before. I knew that he was a violent person. Mm-hmm. I also knew he had some problems from childhood and it sort of reflected in his life. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever saw Ike Tina turn the fight. They all did it behind closed doors. You might see her next day with a swollen eye, but nobody in the band saw it, saw it when it happened. But the show went on through the 70s the boom, boom, as Ike and Tina convincingly <laughs> played their parts as a couple in love and in lust. They would hit the stage and they would do a concert, no breaks, and they would just vibe. Like, we are on this stage, and we have to give these people what they came here for. And they would just blend, and they would just deliver. Boys, I can Turner. They was the greatest up until the end.
The end came in Dallas, Texas in 1976, when Tina Turner literally oh, ran away in the middle of a concert it. tour, ending their marriage and their music for good. By the time we realized what was going on, she was probably halfway to New York by then. And uh, he was uh, noticeably upset about it. He was over-focused on being a star. You know, he loved that life. And, you know, when Tina left, he was chasing it like a crazy person. Ike spent the next 10 years on a slide to nowhere. He tried to carry on touring, but lost his record deal. While selling his studio to pay off debts in 1981, the building was mysteriously burned to the ground. Mm. Three months after that, Ike was arrested for shooting a news delivery man for kicking his dog. Everybody knew him in that period as Dracula. And he had a 45, and he tried to shoot himself. And it went click. And he says, I was just lucky. My gun just fired. Arrested numerous times for drug possession, Ike hit bottom in 1987 after he tried to sell 10 ounces of cocaine to an undercover cop. He was sentenced to four years in prison. I saw him two days before he went, turned himself in. He cried like a baby. He cried, he cried. Oh, man, I'm I got to go to prison. Music was his life, and his life was coming to an end because he couldn't see anything beyond music, and he didn't know how to get out of this hole. After serving 18 months and getting time off for good behavior, Ike Turner left prison in 1991, clean and sober for the first time in decades, and hopeful for a fresh start. You don't know what freedom is until you come in now. You got no freedom. <laughs> when you go in there, you got no nothing. Out here free. When he went to prison, it was the best thing that happened. He got clean, he moved forward with his life, and he came out as a better person. It's a gracious time for him, gracious time for him to, you know, to catapult him, to get him up and running. Because there are a lot of people that loved, that loved him and wanted to see him successful. Members of Ike's family say that they felt the presence of a kinder, gentler Ike. Daddy literally invited anybody and everybody in his house. He would just call random. What you doing? And I did, come over. OK, so we would come over. I grew up with him as my grandfather. And, you know, he had pictures of me everywhere in his house. You know, I loved him, and he cherished me. He had gone to prison, and he did have that stigma on him. So it took him some time, and then people were like, let's give you a chance. So then they started. Well, then the movie came out. Uh-oh. Back when Ike was struggling in the 80s, he'd signed away his rights to a film about Tina Turner's life titled What's Love Got to Do With It? Released in 1993, the movie put a spotlight on Ike's worst behavior and then went further by concocting a harrowing rape scene that had no basis in fact. And they did a good job uh, putting together a movie uh, that sold tickets. But, you know, and even Tina said this, you know, it wasn't uh, really uh, very close to the truth. And when confronted by the media, Ike was often his own worst advocate. Oh, uh, what I did do to Tina is like, uh, uh, we've had, uh, I've slapped Tina. Uh, the only time I ever punched Tina in my life was the last fight that we had. And, 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 and that was uh, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, this is the last time we broke. I remember this interview too. I was just sitting there like, wow. After the movie came out, people were like, sorry, we're not gonna help you. He wasn't getting off the stateside. And personal confrontations with people in the public. It made his life a living hell, man. We were going to a show in San Diego. And as we walked 
through going to the stage, this white woman spit on him. She said, you no good, low down, wife beater, and you know, and he got that a lot, but he wouldn't ever say anything. He would just kind of drop his head and walk on. People don't know what he dealt with behind closed doors. He used to be tough and say stuff like, oh, you forget that, you bury me face down so the whole world kiss my ass, you know? But we knew better. We would go to like blues festivals in Long Beach and he was really insecure. He didn't want to get out of the car. He cared about what people thought about him. And I, I do think that he regretted the life that he led and some of the mistakes that he'd done. If you been mistreated, you know what I'm talking about. He gradually rebuilt his career by getting back to his roots and rocking fans with a show that put himself for the first time squarely on center stage. I've worked 18 years for one woman. People don't realize that. Daddy was afraid. It was like, uh-oh, what do I do? I gotta be in the front. People are all on me now. They're not looking at someone in front of me anymore. But he really would have the whole anxious jitters of stage fright that used to shake him up every single time. The turning point was what he had to do to overcome that fear. And uh, you couldn't deny the fact, well, he's back. <laughs> Okay, is that it? All right, all right, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. That was it. I mean, that's because uh, I don't care about the pods. I took my career, I took everything for granted, man, and then I lost everything, like taking it for granted. You know, now I can appreciate what you can appreciate, you can appreciate everything more than once you get your head and you're thinking clear. Okay. Being respected. In 2006, Ike released what would be his final album, titled Rising with the Blues. It won the Grammy for Best Blues Album of the Year. It was Ike doing what Ike wanted to do, and who'd have thought it, who'd have thunk it, that that would have done what it did. To come back with the Rising with the Blues CD and then get actually get the Grammy for that one, he was on cloud nine, cloud nine. He was very proud and happy, although he was sad because by that time he was back on drugs um, and he would have wanted to win a Grammy uh, as a man who wasn't an addict. Ike had remained drug-free for over a decade following his release from prison. But friends say that an attempt to retrieve a relative from a crack house mm -hmm. in 2004 set him back on an all too familiar path. He got a phone call uh, to go save a family member from that kind of a setting and he went there and uh, as I told me later, he said they were blowing smoke in his face, and it just, he just, he just, he finally just said, hand me the bike. He came up to me one day, and he admitted it. He just said, hey, man, you know, I have slipped, and, I, and I'm, I'm using again. And it was very, very disappointing. He was even saying how he wanted to even go back to jail. He tried to, he tried to go to different rehabs and that, and every time he would go, someone would leak that he was there, and he'd leave, and he'd leave. By 2007, Ike was suffering from emphysema, sending him to the hospital several times that year and putting an end 
to his performing career. But even in his final days, Ike continued to make music, including a song about his life struggles that he titled, Ashamed Man. I've lost all respect for myself. I can't blame nobody else. I brought my own life down to this. How long would it take me to quit? He's literally crying because of what he's going through. The pain and the anguish that he's going through. It'll tell you exactly where he was during his last days. And my eyes just start running. And uh, I was crying, man. And I felt his pain in the music. I'm ashamed to call myself a man. I never held a man in my arms and just rocked him while he cried. And I knew he was through there. I knew Ike wasn't going to live after that too long. Ike Turner died on December 12, 2007. He was 76 years old. You would think his death was the worst day of my life, but the homegoing, because that's when it all sinks in. You know, you see the coffin. He wouldn't have wanted us to mourn over him. He would want us to celebrate his life. And so that's what we did. They can say what they want about Mr. Turner. His genius and all of that, he, he took it to his grave. I can honestly say I know that he went with his mission accomplished. We all have a belief. And I believe that you're saved by what you believe. And I will play what I play in any church. I will play it anywhere because I feel that it's pure music. I feel that it's for the soul. ...to put together and, and give to a, a loving audience and show some forgiveness. You know, everybody deserves that. My dad did not have a halo on his head, but he didn't have horns either. He was a man. Oh, that was dope. A very he didn't gifted, have horns talented man. Either. All he wanted to do was to play music and give people something, give them a memory. Okay. Okay. Wow. All right. Let's make a transition over to some D transition. And then we're going to do uh, an hour into this. And then we're going to do about 20 minutes. And we're going to get up out of here. Hell no. You know, Tina didn't go to his damn funeral. Cut that shit out. You know, she didn't go. Let's get to this D transition. We're going to get up out of here. I was an hour into it in an hour, right? Okay. All right, Chloe Cole. Transition horror stories. Let's go. It didn't really cause me any pain per se, but I, I I heard like from other trans trans identified females like how they would experience pain in their back, in their upper back, in their in their breasts, in the middle of their chest, in their rib cage from using one. I never got any of that, so I thought it was just fine. But it actually distorted my rib cage a little bit. And even now, it's it's been two or three years since I've used a binder, and I still see like the little, I wouldn't say like dense, but the bottom of my ribcage kind of flares out a little bit, because they, I used a supposedly safe and reputable brand, but these things work by pushing the breast into the ribcage, and especially if you're developing, there is no safe way to go about that. It's like, it's like the foot binding. 
you know, it's just it, it it's now it's just finding something else to fit into the society to kind of fit basically in order to fit in to society's expectations as you're as you're experiencing them in a more backwards way even. So you're doing that, and then but what made you decide to get the mastectomy? I just got really sick of of doing it after mm -hmm. a while, and I started to think of myself as being just like any other boy, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be able to take my shirt off like all the other boys without worrying. Um, and I also had an incident in eighth grade um, where I had been sexually assaulted by somebody who had been harassed, who had been bullying me throughout for transitioning throughout the school year. And I didn't really realize just how much it affected me because I was, I was already transitioning by that point. I was already living, I was already in the mindset of actually being a boy. So it was like, well, I just have to be tough about it. I can't, I can't, I can't be too upset about this. And so wait, a guy, another eighth grade boy. Yeah. And he sexually assaulted you. I mean, how can, can you share? Obviously, I can only imagine how traumatic it was, whatever you're comfortable sharing. He groped me. He um, he just walked up to me in the middle of the classroom and he squeezed my breast. He looked me right in the eyes as he did it. And Were there other people there? Yeah, the classroom was full. And yet nobody did a thing about it. That's horrific. Did the, Was the teacher there? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't see what happened, though. And I was afraid to report it to any staff members because I was afraid of getting in trouble myself. I The school I went to just sucked and they failed to accommodate me throughout the school years um i had an iep in place that they just refused to abide by and at one point they even told my parents like it's it's our responsibility to help the child and not you and i didn't really have a lot of, a lot of friends there and i was even among like the like the teachers and staff members i wasn't really one of the i wasn't like a favorite kid by any means um hey shout out to jay jermaine for the tin on the cash app he said so we're in the clouds for playing Ike's unsung. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. We we Ike supporters over here. We are Ike supporters over here. Let's go. And I felt like if if I did report it, like they'd probably just let the kid off with a slap on the wrist. And I didn't know like if he was going to come back after like a few days, after a week, and if he could potentially do something worse to me if he did. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to try it. Do you think there's any connection between being groped, having your breasts groped as a teen girl who's going through gender dysphoria and all these other things that you're going through and getting the mastectomy? That's why I started binding, actually. I didn't I'm use a binder sure up until why. that point. That was what triggered it for me. To protect yourself. Yeah. It was, you were I literally putting on kind of like an armor. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew like at one, at one point I wanted to start hiding my breasts, but I just kind of kind of put it off because it was like, well, like I'm I'm not as developed as some girls, right? And I wear like baggy t-shirts and sweatshirts anyway so nobody's really gonna care why would they care like they already knew me as a girl like they already know like i'm biologically female so why would why would anybody give a crap about that and then that happened it was like okay i guess i'll have to start start hiding this part of me sooner than later i'm so sorry that happened to you um did you did any did you talk did your therapist know that that happened to you did you were you able to no. share that with anyone no i didn't tell any, any adults about it did any of therapists ever ask you about any kind of sexual abuse or they, sexual assault? They probably did at some point, but I didn't even recognize this as a sexual assault. It just didn't register me to me at the time that it was. Because when I when I thought of sexual assault, I would think of like all the stories I heard from like other girls and women growing up of being like raped or beaten. It was nothing of that sort. Like something worse could happen to me. It wasn't the end of the world, right? So 
but he's publicly squeezing your breasts right. to mock you and shame wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. I forgot something. I forgot something. I forgot something. I forgot to play this clip of Tina, y'all. I forgot to play this tip, this clip of Tina, y'all. Tina talking smack about Africa. Let's go. He looked into, but I get that um, Africans are sort of very lazy people. They're not very aggressive. You know, they just sort of want to live off the land and, and they're very comfortable, which is great if you can do that, you know, if you're in a position to be able to do that. But I, um, I felt that they enjoyed our performance there, but I just, I have to be inspired by something when I, like when I go to Europe, I enjoy it because the people there are very fashionable and you can, it's just fun. I mean, all we do is work. We go, we check in a hotel and we go on stage and we go to the airport. So you have to feel some kind of inspiration from a city, right? So when I, when I go to, like to Africa, I'm very down because like the, the food is, isn't good. Um, what? I don't get any really good, fantastic vibes from the people. So I'm just really bored. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you know what? I'm not going. I'm not going to knock. This. this is like a. This is like 40 years old. I'm not going to knock this woman for you know what she felt she saw and what. You know what? Let's continue back on this detransition train. Uh, and no one's intervening or doing anything. And he just what happened next? He just walked off. Yep. Um, so after you get the mastectomy, what happens? How did you feel? Um, I mean. In the immediate moments after, I actually woke up a few times before the medication fully wore off, and I would try to stand up a little too quickly. And I, <laughs> they they um they made me lay back down and go to sleep a few times because of that. And I, I almost yeah, surgery. I almost I almost threw up a few times because of that. But um, once I was like fully awake and fully conscious, and uh, like I was aware of what just happened, it was the greatest thing in the world. Mm. Like I'm, I finally look like a real boy now. Maybe not right now. I mean, they. I've got these big scars across my chest and these skin grafts that are going to take some time to heal. But eventually, I'm going to look like, I'm going to be just like, any other boy. But I'm going to have these warrior scars on top of it. Warrior scars. And I'm finally going to be able to to take my shirt off, in the locker room, and not have to wear a shirt, not have to cover up while I swim or go on a jog or, or work out, and it's going to be great from here on. And I mean, that was a very convenient, very happy way of looking at it, but that never happened. I'm, I'm still healing. What do you mean? Um, I mean, I've had some issues with my skin grafts over the years. At first there were, the skin grafts I used were my, my areolas. So they, they took, they took them off and. Holy shit. Okay. Now she's getting to the crux of the, the actual skin graft. That's, this is crazy. Okay. They. The way it was described to me, I, I guess they they said it in such a way to make it easier for like a teenager to digest. But it was like, okay, so we'll uh, we'll take your areolas off and then we'll scrape the skin on a part of the chest. What? Uh, kind of like a like a deep knee scrape, but more controlled. And then we're going to place the areolas onto that onto that area, so, so it's in a more masculine position. They said. Um, and at first, the the grafts seemed to be healing okay, other than the fact that they were. Superficially, they were they were a little bit dry on top, but as of last year, um, around this time, they did a one eighty and uh, they've started to leak fluid. Damn. Does do you know what that means? Have you talked to a doctor about that? I've tried. Um, I mean, I went to my uh, I went to I went back to my surgeon for the first time in a few years, 
and I tried to, to get his help. I got like a five minute Zoom call with him and that appointment was for two purposes. One, to to report that I regretted the surgery and two, to get some help with my complications and maybe figure out whatever was going on. And uh, the whole time it felt like he was being really rude to me, really dismissive of my concerns. And I was telling him like, I'm having to bandage my chest every day so that whatever this fluid is doesn't get onto my clothing and bedding. Damn. And he just told me, yeah, yeah, keep doing that. Yeah, that's 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 normal. Just just keep just keep managing it and put some Vaseline on it and this to keep how, it moist. This is said. how many years after the surgery? Two years. So it's been two years since the surgery and you're still experiencing this. Yeah, I was, my grafts were supposed to be mostly fully healed by around a year and a half. And... Did, did he have an expl any explanation for why it was happening? No, no. There, zero. He no. did this to you and he didn't know, had zero clue about why. And he just said, perpetually bandage yourself. Yeah. For a wound that I created. Yes. On a 15-year-old girl. I didn't... What a, what a butcher. I, I try to look up butcher, whatever whatever's happening. Butcher. Yeah, I try to look up whatever's happening. I never had heard or seen seen anything like this before. Can you name who this uh, surgeon is? Um, his name is. He has an Asian name. I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but I think it's Doctor Lehope. When did you first start doubting your transition? Doctor Lehope. Okay, everybody, pay attention. Doctor Lehope, let's go. Um, I didn't really have like any doubts about transitioning. Up until after I had the surgery. So for the longest time, I was very confident in presenting myself masculinely and calling myself a boy and being seen as such. And it wasn't until after my breasts were gone that I started realizing like, wow, I sometimes I miss being pretty. I wish that I could grow my hair out and wear makeup without being judged because now everybody thinks I'm a boy. And if I were to do that, I get called all sorts of names. People would like, people would call me gay. I'd get, I'd probably get harassed for a little bit. There were a few times when my, my girlfriends put uh, like nail polish on me and I would, I would go to class and the boy next to me would be like, why are you wearing nail polish? Why are you wearing earrings? Are you gay? Mm. And like, I, but if I were to consider, wouldn't you have considered yourself gay? Cause you were still attracted to men. Right? Yeah, I was, but I didn't want to be seen that way. Cause mm. I mean, even though I live in, in California in a pretty, I guess you'd say, progressive time, in high schools especially, like there's still that stigma against mm -hmm. people who are gay or, or even people who say are male, but they present themselves more femininely or, mm -hmm. or vice versa. And I just didn't want to deal with that. Okay, I don't want to sound crass. But you, 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 know, you know who she reminds me of? Y'all forgive me. Sleepaway Camp. 1984. Or in 83. Does anybody remember that movie Sleepaway Camp? Because she has the facial structure that I could see why she at one point would think she would look better as a boy. But then on the other hand, if you glammed her up, she would look like a girl. So she has... A, almost an androgynous look about her that's not her fault see what i'm saying yeah sleepaway camp oh, man oh. <sighs> what you haven't that's a classic look everybody that's a classic everybody should know about sleepaway camp. i'm not trying to make fun of her or minimize her but she has a face that could go either way depending on how you dress her up you know what I'm saying? Like, 
shit. Okay, let's go. Let's go. So when did you first, when did you, what process did you go to, go through before eventually deciding to, to detransition? Eventually my feelings around, around that started to, I started going into a downward spiral basically. I became more and more distressed over the way that I looked every day and I hated that. I no longer had soft feminine features. Now I had muscle and big shoulders and my breasts were gone and I thought that I wasn't bothered by my, by, by my mastectomy for the longest, but I just wanted to be pretty and and have curves in other places and to be effeminate looking. But I started comparing myself again to other women and feeling like I just didn't match up. And I was also comparing myself to other men as well. And I realized like, I'm, well, for one, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty short. I'm like five foot three, five foot four, which is like a pretty average height for a woman, but that's way shorter than the average male. So that would be, that would be kind of strange. And she, her being five, three, five, four, she what 120 pounds. That's per, that's, that's right in the pocket. That's perfect. Um, height, weight, you know, with the, you know, listen, somebody is going to marry this young woman. She's only 18, right? She started transitioning at 13, got on hormones and then had a double mastectomy at 15 and then at 16 detransitioned back to her original state. So she's just only 18 y'all. And I'm sure cosmetic surgery has come a long ways where they could possibly give her some, you know, some help with the, in the chest area with fake breasts or whatever the case may be. Um, somebody is going to marry this. She, if you glamor up, she can be a cute little girl. She has the frame. She's the perfect height and weight. You know what I'm saying? So when she fully resolves her issues, she going to be all right. You trust and believe somebody goes, this woman will get married. Trust and believe this woman will get married. Now that I was presenting myself as a guy, I mean, I wasn't bad looking and there were quite a few girls who thought That's that I was attractive, girls. Oh, but yeah. I didn't really have anything, any attraction to them. And I felt like, like, even if I did want to pursue a girl, I'm not actually a biological male. I don't have the parts that they're looking for. And I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint anybody. And the few boys at school who were attracted to me were not the most savory of people. A lot of them were like really into drugs or like they, it kind of felt like I was almost like a fetish to them. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I looked like a boy, but I, I was small of a short stature, skinny. What? And they didn't really see me as much more than that. Do you think pornography played a role? Pro yeah, probably. For those okay, I'm, I'm dying to hear this part. Okay, how did pornography play a role in her life? Let's go. That's, it, that's probably part of it. Did yeah. it play any role, do you think, in your transition? Yeah, it was, it really distorted my view of like sex and intimacy, but also my own body. And uh, <laughs> it's gonna sound kind of funny, but BuzzFeed and other other publications like that really really made that a lot worse. Because I, I first discovered like Buzzfeed and other like th those kinds of sites mm -hmm. through like when I was a kid by looking up, I don't know, like which Disney princess am I? And then they have like all those quizzes, mm -hmm. but then they have the other less appropriate content. On See, I would need to know exactly what type of porn she was watching. See, they, she, no diss to Leela, uh, what's her name, Leela Rose, but 
what type of porn. Yeah, we all watch porn, but then you need to figure out, okay, what type of porn do you watch? That will give you the insight to the person better than just asking, because who doesn't watch porn, you know? But let's yeah, let's go. Let's see if she, let's see if she answers the question. There, especially about things like sex, and from those, there'd be articles like encouraging like teenage girls, like younger and younger, to explore their sexuality and what they like as early as possible, and that things like casual sex or being kinky are good, and we should all strive to be that way. And none of it really discussed like the real meaning of sex. Mm -hmm. About the about the the intimacy of it and why it's so important and how it's designed right for for intimacy and pleasure and for also life right it, it was it was really like pleasure above all and pleasure without love which in the end doesn't bring pleasure See, once again this ain't I'm not gonna say she's a horrible interviewer but I mean given the the, the subject matter you don't want to go too hard on the, on her and make her feel like she's being attacked or whatever but yo she would have definitely needed to actually get into what type of porn she was watching because then we could sit back and be like okay there you know oh i can see where this is going you know because if i'm trying to guess she's oh i don't know i'm sure at some point there may have been some lesbian porn some girl some you know boy girl porn i you know she doesn't strike me as the hardcore porn type i don't know see what damn i, I hate that she didn't get into that like long-lasting pleasure, which I would call peace or joy or happiness. Right, right. And my distorted view of sex and relationships on top of my inability to get into relationship because of my transition, uh -oh. I was, I, I had a lot of stress around that uh -oh. because I, all my friends were starting to get boyfriends and girlfriends and I was missing out on that. And I felt like I was a freak or something. Like there was something wrong with me. And so I compensated by getting into those online relationships by sexting older, often random men. And it just, it all worked to, to make me feel so much worse. And it was difficult. I'm going to, okay. Even though we'll, we'll probably never know, I can almost guarantee she was into the bear, right? The bears, it's the, it's the big old burly men and the young. So either the bear or the sissy. So the bear is like the old burly, big old burly hairy man with the, the young girl or the sissy, it would be the bear with a young feminine boy and the bear would manhandle the little, you know, the feminine, the sissy. So I, I can almost gather one of those two types she was watching because listen to the type of relationship she was said she was into online, you know? Okay, let's go, let's go. Socially, for reasons other than, than romance. Now it was a lot harder to to make friends, to be as intimate as I could be as a girl, because now I was taking on the role of a boy. And there wasn't really a lot of room for me to talk about like my own personal hardships and what I was going through. And all I really they're had called, was the internet. Oh, they're called growlers? See, I, I've, only, I've only known them as bears. That, I, that's the old school term that they used to use was a bear. I know they're called growlers, that's funny. <laughs> at what point did you decide i want I, i'm done with this <laughs> at some point it was like well i never felt like i was enough when i was a girl but i feel the same exact way as a boy now i guess listen i got friends that are sex workers man i'm trying to tell y'all listen if you're a guy 
your best bet, if the best relationship you could have with a woman is befriend a sex worker. I shit you not. I would implore any man under the age of 40, because once you hit past 40, it's too late for you. Like your views are too set, too, too, too locked in, too programmed. If you're under the age of 40, I would implore any man to be friends. And I don't mean no casual fuck buddies. No, be legit friends with female sex workers. They'll teach you more about sex than anybody. Anybody, hands down. Get you up, be cool with a sex worker and you're going to learn some things. I, listen, you know, let's go. I just can't be good enough as either. So maybe I'm not either. Maybe I'm just non-binary. Maybe I'm something between the two sexes. But no matter what I did, no matter what I called myself or what pronouns I used or how I, how I dressed, I just kept getting worse. It wasn't up until uh, at some point in my, late in my junior year that I realized just what I was doing to myself, that it was making things worse and I couldn't go back. And that was when um, I started to learn about things like uh, like motherhood and parenting and how, how children's minds develop and how they see the world. That it was like, wow, this is, I didn't know all this. That That's really important to me. And I want to be a mother one day. But how am I if I'm going to, if I'm on these medications that, that might affect my ability to have kids. And now that I, I can't breastfeed, I just realized how big, just how important that really is. Mm. That breasts aren't just a sexual object. That there's so much more than something to be played with or to feed a child with. Okay, we're going to leave it there. We got 29 minutes left. We're going to come back and finish this tomorrow because it's getting pretty good. Um, yeah. I mean, my heart goes out to her, but she's going to be all right. Trust and believe there's a great plaque. There's a bunch of great plastic surgeons in, 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 in Atlanta and in Miami, L.A. Somebody will fund her. You know, see if she did a GoFundMe for, you know, for some chest rework, she can get that. No prop. Somebody going to marry this woman. And they're going to attempt to have kids. I guarantee it, man. You know, so shout out to her. Um. I mean, and, and shout out to the interviewer, you know, Lily, she couldn't just, or Lila, just couldn't, just couldn't throw a fastball. She got to kind of make the com- person feel comfortable in case she decides to come back to, uh, to do a second interview, you know? So, um, yeah, I think I covered everything tonight, man. I'm telling you, she going to be all right. She going to be all right. She going to be all right. I miss anything. I'm just making sure I didn't miss anything. No. 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 Okay, I got it all. Uh-uh. Okay. So with that being said, I'm going to get out of here. Thank everybody for hanging out. Thank you to Jay Jermaine for the cash app. Um, tomorrow, same time. Oh, so I, I, I got to go see Little Mermaid tomorrow. And um, I'll be back with my, uh, with my thoughts. I still think it makes a billion. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be it's gonna be a tough climb. But so we're going to see. She's going to find her Krillin. Hell yeah. 
He's five, what five two five three, a buck twenty, perfect, right in the sweet spot. So she's gonna be all right. So with that being said, let me get out of here. Y'all enjoy the rest of y'all night. Catch y'all later. Peace.